This is the Austin Life Church podcast. For more information, please visit us at austinlifechurch.com. Hey there, Austin Life Church and friends and family members and uh, the, the, the newcomer who was scrolling through Facebook and here you are, you, you ended up here. Welcome to Austin Life Church. Uh, man, I, I know uh, you guys are thinking as much as I am, like what, what is going on? When is this going to change? When? Uh, I mean, I just think there's probably questions on questions on questions, and uh, I just think it's a, it's a perpetual TBD uh, to be determined. You know, we've we had July 12th set up as when we will regather. Um, nothing is definitive, but it's not looking great. Uh, so. I just don't know. For now, uh, let's continue to respect and trust our city authorities and, uh, and, and do what they ask and uh, wear our masks and, and keep proper distancing um, and, and continue to do what's best for others around us. Uh, and we'll just trust that it'll all come together. You know, God, God knows what he's doing. Uh, he's, he's still on his throne. This isn't, throw, you know, throw him off. Uh, he, this doesn't change the mission, right? You know, we've got to start thinking. Let's say this is the new normal forever. Well, how do we how do we live in this this reality as Christians? You know, that doesn't change. So, anyways, uh, so stay tuned for updates on on what we'll be doing. Um, yeah, hopefully it will change sooner rather than later. Um, let's pray, and then we're going to to jump into uh, what, what we have for today. Um, God, we ask you to speak to us. Father, would you uh, affirm to us that your word is living and active, that it's true, that it is sufficient, um, and that we can we can bank on it. Thank you for your faithfulness and your patience with us. We love you. Uh, amen. So, um, change up the location a little bit today. Uh, and, and so we, you, get, you get the desk action. Uh, I have sticky notes because I like sticky notes. Um, Michaela, she was like, why do you write everything down, Dad? That's what Google Drive is for. Uh, I just like a pencil and paper, and then I'll eventually get to the computer, but it's just how my brain works. So anyways, uh, welcome to, to my desk here. Um, if you're wondering, like, what are the books behind me? Um, well, you know, zoom in and you'll, you'll see. This is a little Superman card that Stephanie got me. If you're like, what's going on over there? Uh, it's, it's Superman. Um, I just like to keep it right there uh, as motivation, you know, for me to... Anyways. Um, so, Stephanie and I got married on May 20th, 2006. And we went to St. Lucia for our honeymoon. And, and while there, we, we set sail, took her sailing on the coastline of St. Lucia. And by sailing, I mean, I think we got in um, a little boat that like took us out to a catamaran that was that was anchored and staying put, and we just sat on the catamaran and like drank champagne and ate cheese or something. I don't know. It was like there was a group of us, uh, so we didn't really sail a whole lot. But uh, that's the extent of my sailing experience. What I what I do know is that uh, back in the day, before all the technology we have. Uh, sailors who were out in the middle of the ocean where it is pitch black. I don't know if you've ever been out in the ocean when it's when it's dark. I mean, it is it is eerie. It's just dark. It's just black. And what they would do for navigation is they would base everything off the North Star. All right, so they would find the North Star, and that would tell them, okay, we're we're still heading in the right direction. 
or we need to correct or something along the lines, right? The North Star was their, was their guide. It was their authority. It was their, their anchor, their truth that then determined all the other actions and, and what was true and what was not. Um, and, and as people, we, we all have a North Star in our lives. And, and by that, I mean we all have something that, we, that, that is our foundation, that is our anchor of truth and, and that we base our lives off of. Uh, that that this source of truth, of authority, tells us what's right and what's left and what's wrong and what's good. And it, it's, it is our authority. Uh, now, what may be for, for some of you is it could be uh, human logic. You know, what makes sense, what you can uh, t- put together, deduce in your, your brain, in your mind, that's ultimately what is, what is true. That is your, your true north, your north star. Uh, for others, it may be the testimony or credibility of other professionals, right? So what, um, what psychologists or historians say, right? Like, so what, what these professionals who put years and years and years and years into something, like that becomes your, your true north. Now, others, it may be science, right? Is that, that what is true and reliable has to be tested by a scientific process. And then you can say, yes, that's true and that's right. So the, the scientific process becomes... Uh, your true north. Uh, what what may determine truth for you could be headlines or uh, just what 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 people are saying, right? And and you start saying, okay, that's true. Uh, it could be a religious practice, a faith system. Um, it could be the Bible. It could be another writing that that you say, this is my my true north. But but what is true for all of us is that something is our authority. Something tells us what is right and what is true. And, and for all of us, it all requires a little bit of faith. Every single one of us. If, if you want to go the scientific route, if you want to say that, you know, I trust science, well, there comes a point when science requires faith. And every scientist would say that. Every scientist would say, yeah, you know, you can, you can go back and back and back, but there, there comes a point when you just have to trust that this is right, that this is how things began, or uh, you've got to trust the, the research and study of someone else, right? So there's, we all live with, with faith, all of us. We, we, have, we have faith. Um, for us, for me personally, for us as a church, where we stand is that we are Jesus-centered and, and Bible-driven. So we, we want to center our lives around Jesus, believing that, that He is God in the flesh and that He is the, the, the truth, the way, the life, the answer, our hope, the only way that, that our greatest need, which is our separation from God, can be restored and reconciled is, is, is through Jesus. And we believe the way we know Jesus, the way we know this message of the gospel is from the Bible. That the Bible is what we have today as our true north, as our authority, as our anchor. That, that everything else around us, may, it can be really accurate, but it's going to have its flaws. The Bible, though, we believe is the full authoritative Word of God. That it's accurate, that it's sufficient, and that these are the words of God given to us. That we can know God and know truth and know how to live in His ways. So for me, for, for us as a church, 
This is our, our North Star. This is our true North, our anchor that then shapes everything else around us and tells us the way of life and the way that is true. In, in Psalm 19, David, he says, the law of the Lord. So that, that's just another way of talking about uh, the, the Bible that he knew up to that point, right? The Old Testament writings. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord, another way to talk about God's word, is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. The, David is saying that the word of God is true and right and pure and good, and it's better than anything else. Over in Psalm 119, uh, verse 5, uh, the, the longest psalm of the psalms, uh, David again says, Oh, oh, the, I'm sorry. What is it? Um, I wrote down the wrong. I wrote down the wrong verse. It is not verse 5. Well, there you have it. Uh, go look it up. I can't remember the reference, but it says that the, the word of the Lord is, is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. I'm sure someone's like, oh, this is it. Uh, but when you're on a camera recording and there's a mic going, your brain just kind of blanks a little bit. And so uh, it's, that's the verse. It says that the word of the Lord is a light unto our path. It's a lamp. It gives us direction. It illuminates what is true and what is right. Over in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 4, it says this of the Bible. It says in verse 12, The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The, the author of Hebrews says that these words, the Word, the word of God, is, is alive. It's not... It's not just some distant um, words that had meaning then, but today it's active, it's alive, it pierces into our soul. And in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to Timothy, he says, As for you, continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, the scriptures, the Bible, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture, every word, from Genesis to Revelation, from beginning to end, all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's His words breathed out, spoken through different writers and authors, breathed out by God, and it is profitable. It is good for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God or the woman of God or the child of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Paul is saying, hey, Timothy, these words, the Bible, it's good and it's right. And they're the words of God. They're living, they're active. They're the words of God. And they are good for correcting you and shaping you to be complete for the works of God. They're sufficient. 
This is all you need. So often, and I'm a, I mean, I like books. I mean, if anybody knows me, I'm a, I'm a great book starter and a great, uh, terrible book finisher, you know, but I'll get new books and, and I'll read this and I'll read a little bit of that. And, you know, and, and I think when we're talking about, you know, how do we handle this? What do we do that? Well, let's read, let's learn, let's study. And that is good. You should. At the same time, we don't need any other writings. All we need is the Bible. It is sufficient. It is, it is enough. It's the Word of God and it's complete. We, these other books, man, I got The Reason for God right here by Tim Keller. Love this book. Just write it with some, some people from the church, right? It's a great book, but, but it's just supporting and pointing to the book. It's pointing to the Bible and, and helping us understand the Bible more. I don't actually need this. I really just need the Bible. These are resources and supplements and they're good and they're helpful, but the Bible is sufficient. It's enough. We've got to start here. So I'm, I'm talking all this, you know, that, that the Word of God is living and active. It's the words of God. It is, it is His writing. It's His letters given to us that we can know Him and know how to live, right? It's, it's as if I were to write you a letter and mail it to you. Those are my words to you. This is God's words to us that we can know Him and, and know His ways. And, and they're true and sufficient and enough and complete, but then the question comes up, how do we know? Like, can we really trust these words? If we are basing our life off of this, if we're anchoring our life to this, if, if we're going to do what it says and we're going to trust who Jesus is, can we really, can we really trust this? I mean, I, I'll admit, it's, when it comes to questions of faith, which I've been open to say I, I have frequently, I have many, this is probably the biggest question I have. Because we're basing everything off of what we read in the Bible. So, man, can we really trust it? How do we know? Now, this is a, a big question. And there's been a ton of research and a ton of, of study and examination. And there's some great books out there. The Reason for God is a good one. Um, I, was, I was reading another book. Uh, let me pull up my Kindle. I'll tell you what it's called. Um, Why Trust the Bible by Greg Gilbert. It's a great book. It's a small book. It's a short book. And, and it addresses a lot of these questions. Uh, and so there's some great resources out there that you should read and study. Um, but can we trust the Bible? Now, we could spend I mean, hours and days picking it apart. But really, I want to I take the approach that, that Greg Gilbert and Tim Keller take, which is, okay, let's, let's focus on the central character of the Bible, Jesus. And let's focus on the biggest component, the biggest part of his life, his resurrection. Did Jesus rise from the dead? That's what the Bible says. That's what all the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, point to the death and resurrection of Jesus. Acts, the book of Acts, then points to life following the resurrection. And all the letters of the New Testament afterwards point to how we live in response to the resurrection. Of Jesus. And so we can really narrow it down to did Jesus rise from the dead as the Bible says he did? Tim Keller, he's got this quote in here. Uh, I'll just go ahead and read it because I think it's great. He said, A lot of times people will, will approach him and say, I struggle with this aspect of Christian, Christian teaching. I don't understand this. I don't, I don't like this. I don't agree with this. And his response is typically this If Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all he said. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said? 
The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teaching, but whether or not he rose from the dead. That is how the first hearers felt who heard reports of the resurrection. They knew that if it was true, it meant we can't live our lives any way we want. If Jesus rose from the dead, he, he is who he says he is, and what he said is true. What he said, what he lived by, what he pointed to is true. If he didn't rise from the dead, move on. We'll go find something else. So we, the question we want to ask is, can we trust the, the words of God that say Jesus rose from the dead? Can we trust the Gospels? Can we trust this, this narrative? Uh, it, because if we can trust that Jesus rose from the dead as recorded in the Bible, everything else makes sense and falls into place. Everything else is a pretty easy. I mean, we're like, okay, if I can trust this, then I can trust that. If I can trust that Jesus rose from the dead, I can trust the other miracles. I can trust the other aspects of the Bible. So that's really a question we want to ask. And, and I just wanted to spend some time talking about questions and some answers. Now, this is different than a typical sermon. Uh, it, it's more of an apologetic discussion, a defense of faith. And, and so just know that, that I recognize that and it's a little different. But if we're going to spend the next few weeks looking at who God is based on what the Bible says, we, we want to know that we can trust the Bible. Now, as I said, everything requires faith. Right? I was not there in person when all of this happened. I was not there as Paul wrote things out or Luke wrote things out or Moses wrote things out. Like Neither were you. So there's an element of faith that is going to be required no matter what. But remember, there's an element of faith with everything. Every history book you pick up, you're trusting the authors of. Every book of, of, of antiquity, you're trusting the authors. Like We're trusting the process. So Everything requires some faith. So that's, that's okay. That's not a, a weird thing or a bad thing. We want to ask, is it reasonable? Like, is it absurd to believe this? Or is it reasonable? Like, can we, with, with good warrant, say, okay, yeah, I, I can see how this, this works. So a few questions we're going to walk through. Number one, can we trust the translations? Okay, the, we, we're reading the Bible, most of us, in English. But the original language of the Bible was Hebrew, Aramaic, or Greek, not English. So, so that means that we are trusting that someone took the original language and translated it from Greek to English. We're, we're trusting that process. Well, what if the, the Greek translation, they changed it? And, and they changed it in English, and so we don't actually know, is this really what it said? But if we're going to believe that, we've got to start believing a massive conspiracy, like a massive cover-up that spans generations and centuries and I don't know how many people, because translating from one language to another is incredibly possible and has been happening for centuries. It's not some unheard of thing. It's, it's really possible and so as someone learns and learns an original language and is able to read the text in the original language, if, if they then translate and, and go, wait, time out, it's, it doesn't actually line up, like that's going to get out. That's going to be known and understood. But the reality, there's just way too many sources to say like, oh, the translation's off. Now, 
And we can then ask, well, what about the different translations, right? Like I have an ESV, an English standard version. I think we also have, yeah, over there I have my chronological Bible. It's the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible. Um, we've got the NAS, the New American Standard, the NIV, the King James, the New King, right? So you've got all these different translations that are starting from the original language and then translating it into English. But it's just like saying, um, if I told my parents, like, hey, that's rad, and they're like, I, what does the word rad mean? I could say, you know, cool, hip, like, it's, it's, it's kosher, it's, you know, I could, I could use all these different synonyms, right? But it, it all means the same thing. So with different translations, you're going to get different synonyms, different word choices that mean ultimately the same thing. My kids have a Bible that uses different English words than mine because they're eight and, and 10 and 13, right? So th they need different translations that aren't altering the meaning, but just giving different words so that they can understand it in their, in their age, in their you know, context a little bit better. But the majority of translations are really, really accurate and good to use. I prefer the ESV because it does more of a word-for-word -word translation. Some translations will take a sentence and translate the overall thought into English. And some will take a sentence and translate word-for-word -word into English. And it makes it a little more difficult to understand um, because it's, it's, it's less of a it's speaking less in our language than, than in their language, but the meaning is by and large heavily the same. So, yes, we can trust the, the translations. And, and if you really want to do due diligence, you can always go learn Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic. Um, and, and you'll find that you've really got the same thing as we already have. So the translations are, are safe to trust. Can we then trust the copies? So we don't have the original piece of paper that Paul wrote Philippians on. Like the very first thing when Paul grabbed his pencil and his notepad and he started writing to the church in Philippi, we don't have that piece of paper. We don't have the piece of paper that, that Luke wrote, the Gospel of Luke and Acts on. We don't have the very first original. What we have are copies of that. So Paul writes to the letter of Philippi and it passes it on and they get it and then somebody copies that letter so they can pass on to their friends and on to someone else. So we have copies of the originals. Well, what if they miscopied, right? Like, doesn't this turn into the game telephone where, where I tell you like, hey, Betty went to the grocery store to buy vanilla. And, and it goes to the next person that's like, hey, Betty went to the supermarket to buy beans. And then it goes to the next person that's like, Hey, Betty bought a cow in Algeria. And then it goes to the next person and it's like, hey, Betty is an alien from another planet, right? So after so many people, you've got this just wildly different than the original. And, and yeah, I guess the more copies you have, the, the greater chance there is of that. But what, but that's a game among casual participants, right? The game telephone. This was someone's vocation to, to, to copy significant texts, and not just for the Bible, but in history. This was someone's vocation to, this was an editor. This was someone who, who their job was to take the original and to reproduce it in accuracy. 
Like it wasn't just some casual person. It was a vocation for, for them to do. But even then, right, even then, right, so there is overwhelming support for the accuracy of the copies. And I'll give you some illustrations. So the, the earliest copies that we have are within one to two generations of people, meaning they're within 75 to 150 years of, of proximity from the very original to the copy. Paul's letter to the copies that we have are within 100 years. Now we're looking at that and we're going, shoot, that's a, that's a lot of years, man. Like what, what do we do with that? Homer's Iliad, it was written around 900 BC and the closest copy we have is 400 BC. 500 years in between the copy and the original. And we're not questioning it. Aristotle's original ode to, to poetics. There's a 1400 year gap between the closest copy and the original of Aristotle's work. And we're not like, oh, I don't know if we can trust the copy because that, that just really wasn't questioned because the vocation was respected and trusted. And the, the gap in the Bible is incredibly small. So people were writing copies that living witnesses could contest if, if it was wrong. If the copy was errant, there were it was so close to the original, there were still people alive that could go, whoa, that wasn't, that wasn't right, that wasn't accurate. Because it's so close. Not only that, is it close, but the number of copies that when you lay on top of each other, start to, to line up and make the story accurate is crazy. So let's go back to Homer's Iliad. We have 643 copies of Homer's Iliad. And so when you start lining those up on top of each other, the copy on top of the copy on top of the copy, you, you start to see where there, there might be mistakes in the copies. And, and there's just not really. There's, there's minor, minor differences. The Bible, 5,400 copies. Homer's Iliad, 643 copies, 400 year gap. The Bible, 5,400 copies, approximately a 100 year gap. When you start lining all those on top of each other, the accuracy is crazy. So now there are variants. Like let's not, and, and, and gosh, the scholars do an amazing job of owning those and saying, hey, here's some variants. Here's some, so you'll see footnotes in the Bible that's like, this wasn't in the original or this wasn't, you know, this word was, was in some, some copies, but not in all copies. And they're just throwing it out there. They're a transparent, open book. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong. It's just saying some copies didn't have it. If you want to, like, if you want to say like, okay, let's go back to what we have the most of, you can, and it's not going to change the meaning. So of the variations among all the copies, that are realistic and could change the meaning. So there's some variations that are like, that's absurd. That doesn't match up to anything. And you can just toss it out, right? That's going to be true of any piece of writing. Variations that are realistic and could change the meaning of the Bible are around 1%. Of all the textual variations, of all the differences, of all the things that people are like, oh, there's so many differences, there's only about 1%. 
that could really be discussed. It, it's a really, really accurate copy and writing. So what about, are these the actual books? Are these the legit ones? Uh, Dan Brown wrote a book called The Da Vinci Code, uh, and it took off, man. And it, it really centered around this conspiracy that around the fourth century, there were some big wigs that wanted to perpetuate a story in order to, to have power in Rome. And so they perpetuated the, the story of the Bible that we have now while suppressing other accounts and other stories that, that they didn't want to get out because that would change everything, right? If, if this book got out, oh my gosh, everything falls apart and we lose our power. Or if that one gets out, let's bury it to make sure. And so there's this conspiracy that the books we have really serve an agenda of, of some people in the fourth century that wanted to go a certain way, right? And so uh, that, that's a, it's a good question, right? How do we know these are the actual words of God? These books, um, how, how do we know? And so, again, we got to ask, I mean, remember the question, did Jesus rise from the dead? Like, that's always one to keep in, in mind, right? And so, here's the thing. The books that, that they were looking at in the fourth century really weren't, they weren't starting with a blank canvas. They, they weren't starting with this piece of paper and they're like, okay, we really want this agenda to go through. Bring in all the different writings about Jesus that we can find and we'll pick our favorite and we'll throw them in this book and we'll say, okay, here's the Bible, push this, right? Like they weren't starting from a blank canvas. They were starting with what was already assumed and, and widely accepted as truth. They were just trying to pick out the the outliers, the, the, the ones that tried to add into the Bible. But the, the bulk of the Bible really wasn't ever even contested or questioned because it was just sim it just simply was. It was just they recorded history and, and passed it and passed it on. So let's take the Constitution of the United States of America. If if you and I were tasked to go and to rewrite the Constitution of the United States of America, I don't have the original. I don't have a I don't have a copy. You know, like, right, I don't have anything, but I could very quickly go and grab documents and copies and, and put it together and say, okay, here, here is an account because it just already is. It, it, it was already, it's already there, right? Like it's, it's not questioned like, oh, is that the constitution? It, it, everybody just knows this is the constitution and, and that over there is not, and that over there is not, this is because it, it, it's just what was there. It's, it's just known. And that's really how people were approaching the Bible then. Is like, here's the Bible. It's already there. It's just, it's just history written down for us. And there's other people writing things that maybe is right, but maybe not. Let's talk about those things, right? And so here's how they, they took the books, all the books of the Bible, and then some. And they were like, okay, well, let's make sure we have the accurate Bible, the words of God. And they started filtering them through some, some prerequisites that would el eliminate many of the books. So uh, in order for it to be a book of the Bible, it had to be written or commissioned by an apostle. An apostle was one of the original 12, someone who walked with Jesus, an eyewitness, someone who was right there. And so a book written in the second century, the third century, after the apostles were dead, was immediately removed. It was just like, that's too far. That's too far. It had to be right there with Jesus. 
by an apostle, by someone close to it. Uh, it had to be a book considered um, in antiquity to be close to Jesus, right? So it has to be written or commissioned by an apostle, and it has to be close to the life of Jesus. Again, if they're trying to eliminate this telephone game, the chances for, for it to just spread and build on legend. It had to be consistent with the testimony of God already accepted. So there was some books that came in, the, the Gospels of Thomas, right? That's, that's, that's a big one, right? And, and it came in, and it was so far-fetched from the rest of the Bible that it was clear that it was just, it was just someone writing something along, right? Like, maybe they had good intentions, but it was not inspired by God because it didn't match up with the rest of the Bible, just with what was already considered true. And so they, they had to remove anything that wasn't consistent. And they removed anything that wasn't universally known and read and accepted across the church. So again, if, if we have the Constitution of the United States and someone brings in something and they're like, oh yeah, this is part of it too. And everyone, everyone in history is like, what? Where did that come from? No, it's not. You know, it's removed. It's not considered accurate or valid. It, it, it's very easy for us to say, here are the facts. And that's what they did with the Bible. It was very, very easy for the most part to say, I mean, here's, here's what history is. Here's what's always been. Here are the people and the, the, the conspiracies trying to add to it. And no, 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 move them out. Done. This is it. It really didn't change much from what was accepted and known and understood to be the true Bible. So this whole conspiracy theory of the fourth century, man, it's a stretch. It makes for good fiction, um, but it's a, it's a real stretch. It's a real stretch. Uh, can we trust the authors of the Bible? Maybe Paul and maybe Peter and maybe Luke, maybe they had an agenda. Maybe they were delusional. Maybe they had no clue um, what they were doing. And maybe we just can't trust it. Maybe they were writing a fiction story. They wanted a bestseller. They wanted to be on the New York Times bestsellers. And so they were writing this crazy fictional story and they just put it all together. And, and, and this one is really like, you can believe the Bible or not, but you can't trust. Like the authors are, are reliable. They're credible. They, there's too much fact. There's too much detail about proper names and cities and locations that if, if people wanted to do away with it, which many people did want to do away with Christianity, they just say, that didn't happen. That person's not real. They're not around. And, it, and it's disproved. It's, it's quickly removed. There's way too much factual evidence and specificity in the Bible to say like, oh, I don't know that you can trust these guys. They're, they're sketchy. Um, also, again, the, uh, these authors, they, they gave their life up for this. I, I just, you, you just don't, you don't give your life up for something that's a fiction. That's, that's a hoax. You just don't. It's, it's, it's not, it doesn't make sense, right? It doesn't, it doesn't line up with the character of, of people, of how people operate. And so really, the, like you, can, you can have other questions and doubts, but yeah, we can trust the authors. They've got, no, they've got nothing to gain in, in writing this down for us. So the question comes down to, is it real, right? Like historically and, and as far as literature goes, it's, it's reliable. We can trust the translations today. We can trust that the copies are pretty darn accurate, more accurate than any other piece of, of literature in antiquity. Um, we can trust the books in the Bible as, as the actual Bible, um, as, as what is considered the Word of God. 
We can trust the author's motives and intent. But just is it real? Can we base our lives on this? And again, I'm going to ask the question, did Jesus rise from the dead? If he didn't and he's still dead, get rid of it. But if Jesus historically and factually rose from the dead, as the Bible says he did, we've got to start taking this into account. We've got to do something with this. And so did Jesus rise from the dead? There's, there's two things that happened according to the Bible and that is not discounted by other sources in history. One, the tomb was empty. And two, there were over 500 eyewitnesses to the resurrection of Jesus. If the tomb's empty but nobody sees his resurrection, there's a number of more plausible answers. That someone stole the body or they just got lost and picked the wrong tomb. There's a number of other things that would come before resurrection. But the tomb was empty. If the tomb wasn't empty and they just saw the resurrected body, then you start to say, okay, you're hallucinating, you're delusional. The, the body's there. So the fact that the tomb is empty and they see the resurrection of Jesus by over 500 eyewitnesses, that's a pretty good testimony of, of something that occurred, a, a fact. In addition, the first witnesses were women. If, if this is just a story and a, and a fabrication, that's not how they're going to write it. In, in the first century Jewish culture, women's testimony didn't matter. So if they're like, we want people to believe this, let's have women as the first eyewitnesses. No, people are going to go, their testimony doesn't matter anyways, get rid of it. But that's just what the truth was, and so that's what they wrote down, that the women saw Jesus first. They were the first eyewitnesses. There were over 500 eyewitnesses. Um, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, that's a lot of people who are crazy. That's a lot of people who have gone off the, the deep end and are, are delusional, right? Um, there's a change in worldview. Uh, up to this point, uh, they believed that, that Jesus would come in power and, and, and restore Israel in a political way. And now they're saying, nope, it's, it's dramatic change that Jesus is alive and, and he's risen from the dead. It's a completely change in worldview. Uh, the birth of the church, when Jesus died, uh, the church was basically done. The remaining disciples were scattering, they were afraid, they were, they were cowering, they were hiding, they were not doing what we read in Acts. And then in Acts, they're, they're courageous, they're bold. The church goes from little bitty bitty to blows up to thousands. Well, how does that happen? It, how does that change take place? Well, there's got to be some spark, some, something that ignites that explosion. That spark is the resurrection of Jesus. It, it's, it's that the, the one they followed is now alive again, and it, that gives them a courage and a boldness and a belief that he is who he says he is. We, we can't lose because Jesus can't lose. So the resurrection sparks the church now, finally, the Pascal said, I'll, I'll trust the witnesses that had a knife to their throat. Again, if they know it's a hoax, not if they're convinced it's real or, or whatever. If, if these original authors and Christians know that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, they know they're not going to die for that. They're not going to be martyred for that. Now, they could be delusional and crazy, 
and, and die for it. But if they know it's a hoax, they're not, they're not gonna, they're not gonna die for that. So the facts are heavily reasonable that Jesus rose from the dead and that these words are true and alive. 66 books in the Bible over with 40 different authors written over a thousand years. And it really tells one story. From Genesis, it starts with God creating us to be in a relationship with Him. And that Adam and Eve and every human following has walked away from that. Not because God was wrong or not enough, but because we are sinful and selfish and think we know best. And we walk away from the source of life and joy and happiness. And God in love for us, pursues us through the Old Testament into the New Testament where Jesus enters the scene as our hope and our answer and our reconciler. And, and in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see Jesus in His life living the life we should have lived and His death dying the death we deserved and His resurrection which ushers in, brings in a new life and a power that is offered to all who receive Him by faith. And in those who receive Him by faith, receive His Spirit in the book of Acts and live lives differently as Christians until Jesus returns and heaven and earth is restored. It's one story of redemption from Genesis to Revelation. All these books, all these authors, all these years, and they tell one story. It's... It's the words of God. It's going to require faith. It's going to require trust. But I believe it's reasonable. And I believe it's proven itself. More than any other writing in antiquity, we can trust these words. So we, we come to them as our anchor. We come to them as our source and our authority. And in this, we find the words of God. We find life in a relationship with Him. We know Him. And how to live with him. So this will be our source. This will be our anchor. Let's pray. God, give us truth. Speak to us. Let us know you through your word. In Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Austin Life Church podcast. To help support us, please take a second to rate and review us on iTunes and visit us at austinlifechurch.com.